if I could tag this text this morning of best Bible fights, it would be Ahab versus God. Uh, God fights for us even when we fight against him. God fights for us even when we fight against him. Let's pray. Father God, we are uh, just grateful that you are a merciful uh, and long-suffering God, that your mercies are new each and every morning, uh, that your love extends without borders and the depths of your love seeks to grab hold of us and draw us close to you that we may know you. And so God, if nothing else, I pray that we walk away today uh, having a knowledge of you that we did not have before and feeling the presence of God drawing near to us more and more that we may turn our hearts and draw near to you. And so we just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge uh, game person. Uh, not too much on video games, but I love playing uh, board games. So I love Monopoly. Uh, I love, a lot of people don't like Monopoly. I love Monopoly, though. Some of y'all be tripping. Um, but I love that four-hour, four, five-hour Monopoly game. So, it's, so you got to be real strategic with it, you know. Um, but I know some of y'all don't like Monopoly, so, you know, I, but I like board games, I like card games, uh, I like, it, I like, I love this game called Scategories, you know, you got to be quick on your feet, you got to have a good vocabulary for that, for that, John, uh, but back in the day when I was, back in the day when, I said, I know I said that, John, like, that's a good vocabulary, but, um, <laughs> that's Philly vocabulary, so, you know, if you had the letter J, you basically could put John for anything that you wanted to, and I guess it'd be a correct answer. Um, but when I was younger, it was a game I always got excited about. You know, so teacher would come in the classroom, soon as she turned them lights off, you knew what's about to happen, right? Seven Up. Y'all know about that game. Seven Up used to be official back in the day. You ain't need no board, you ain't need no dice, you ain't need no cards. All you needed was a dark room and a, a few people, and you could, you could get it in. See, and you know, 7-Up seven, seven was a game, you know, you had to, you know, put your head down, close your eyes, put your thumb up. Somebody had to, you know, put your thumb down, and you had to guess who it was. If y'all was anything like me, you was trying to peek and see who had what shoes on, and, 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 and so you could get a glimpse of the side of the shoe, and you'd be like, okay, let me peep shoes, who got the, the purple with the little joint on it. Um, and, and so, or, or, you know, like you used to, I mean, you had to be kind of slick with it. So you had, to, you had to be able to discern how certain people walked. Like, did they slide their feet when they walked? Did they have a little pitter-patter? You know what I'm saying? Like, like what kind of, like, was it gentle when they put your thumb down? Then you, then you, you know, you can, you can remove half the population. Like, okay, I know a dude ain't touch me, so I know it's a girl. You know what I'm saying? So you, you can kind of work that thing out so you kind of know you know, how to make an appropriate, logical uh, guess, right? A, a good guess based on the information uh, of your senses uh, that you had. And so the purpose of that game was to try to find out uh, who touched you, who put your thumb down, and, and try to guess that, that, that person. And so unlike 7-Up, when God is at work in your life, he doesn't want you to have to guess who's touched you. He, he doesn't want you to have to wonder Who's at work and who's maneuvering and who's working things out on your behalf? When, when, when God is at work in your life, he wants to make it very, very clear who's at work. And so we find ourselves here in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 20 with uh, a man named Ahab who was uh, king of the northern kingdom of, of Israel. So uh, a little, little background on, on, 
on Ahab and, and, and sort of how he became, how he got to the position uh, that he had. You know, you had David, and David was a man after God's own heart. And then, then you have Solomon. Uh, and Solomon, he started off cool, and then he got a bunch of wives and, and concubines, and, and they worshiped a bunch of foreign gods, and, and they turned his heart towards their gods. And, uh, and, and so the, he pro- provoked the Lord to anger. Uh, then Solomon's son Rehoboam got on the throne, and Rehoboam didn't treat the people well. So they dissented, and the kingdom split in half. And so you got the, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And then uh, a guy named Jeroboam took over the northern kingdom. Uh, and what happened was, during that time, the people were still commuting down to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. And so Jeroboam said, he said, man, if these people got to keep going down to Jerusalem to worship, they, their hearts are going to start to turn back towards the southern kingdom into Rehoboam, and I'm going to lose my kingdom. And so he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to craft two two golden calves, uh, and I'm, I'm going to put one in Samaria and one in, in, in the country of Dan, and, and I'm going to build temples there, and we're going to basically create our own uh, worship places. I'm going to install priests and, and festivals, and, and we're going to make up our own worship thing. We, that way you don't got to go to Jerusalem. That way I can ensure that my people stay here in our sphere, in our local area, and I don't got to worry about their hearts being turned back to God. And so, uh, so if, if you see in the Bible through the kingships that, that uh, uh, in quotations, uh, the sins of Jeroboam, uh, then you know that the people continue to worship these golden calves that were established. And so after Jeroboam, there's a long line of succession of priests who constantly provoke the Lord to anger and, and turn the people's heart to idolatry, and Ahab is the seventh of those kings in the northern kingdom, and uh, there's some similarities between uh, Ahab and his father and, and David and Solomon. David, uh, when he was a, uh, a king, uh, he, the country warred a lot, so they were at war all the time, uh, but he also expanded the kingdom, and, and because of David's work, Solomon, his son, got the benefit of peace and prosperity, and so he didn't have to do much warring. Uh, the same could be said for Ahab. Omri, Omri, his father, warred a lot constantly while he was on the throne uh, and, and expanded the kingdom. And then when Ahab took over, he experienced the, 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 the blessing from his dad of having peace and prosperity. And yet even though he experienced peace and prosperity in the kingdom during his reign for the most part, the Bible characterizes his, his reign as wicked. If I could steal a term from Pastor E and Paul's parenthetically there, uh, just because you're in a season of life where there's peace and prosperity doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord's hand is on you or that you know him. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not, but it doesn't mean that just because you see those things that you're on God's good side, so to speak. So Ahab was this Another one of these kings in the succession of kings who turned the people's heart from the Lord. But I want to read to you from the Bible exactly what the Bible has to say about Ahab, right? Just to give you a little context. In chapter 16, it says this, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, listen, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah 
Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, after this story that we go through, it, it, it gives another description of Ahab's life in chapter 21. It says, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. So you have here this man, this King Ahab, and th throughout the kingship, after David had come off the throne, all of these kings had led the people into idolatrous worship practices, and yet through all that they experienced, you get to Ahab, and the Bible, more than anybody else in Scripture, characterizes his life as the most idolatrous person as it related to the kings. I mean, this dude, like, when, when you think back to the book of Leviticus in the law where God lays out what was happening in the land, right? He takes them out of the land of Egypt into the wilderness, and he uses that time and says, man, I, I want you to forget everything you saw them do in Egypt, and I want to prepare you for everything you're going to see them do when you get to the promised land because they were some nasty, freaky people in Egypt, and they were some nasty, freaky people in Canaan. And so I got to work all that freakiness that you learned out of you in the wilderness for 40 years. And I got to teach you my ways so that when you get in the land, you don't act a fool. And then they got in the land and started to act a fool. And they've been acting a fool. And Ahab, the Bible characterizes as the worst of them all in provoking the Lord to anger. Keep that in mind as we, as we read. Chapter 20, let's go, verse 1. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army together. Thirty-two kings were with him. At this point, Syria is taking over. Like, they're conquering peoples and nations. Uh, and he's, he's conquered at, at a minimum 32 other nations. And now he has kings with him as uh, vassal states, basically subservient to Syria and, and claiming their allegiance to, to Syria because they've been conquered. Uh, and he, so he has the 32 kings with him and horses and chariots. And he went up and closed in on Samaria and fought against it. And he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Benadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and children are also mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, Okay, I am yours and all that I have. So Benadad comes in, and he's like, Listen, I want all your gold. I want all your silver. I don't want all your wives and kids. I just want the good ones. So if you got disobedient kids, keep them. The wives, I just want the finest of the fine, right? So he only takes the best of what they have. Ahab's standing back, and he's like, you know what? I know I don't have the resources or manpower to fight against Syria right now. It's not smart. It's not a smart move. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to agree to these terms, right? So that way, I can still kind of hold my kingship as a, as a vassal state. He can still be king over his land, but now everything that belongs to him belongs to Ben-Hadad, right? And so they make this arrangement, and he says, you know what? What you're saying is cool. I'm with it. We, we good. We good. All right? Listen to what it says. Verse 5, the messengers came again and said, thus, ben -Hadad, uh, uh, thus says Ben-Hadad, I sent to you saying, deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. Nevertheless, I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants and lay hands on whatever pleases you and take it away. So Ben-Hadad says, he gets word back that, that Ahab says, okay, and then Benadad changes his mind. And he said, you know what? Uh, I think I want more than what I asked for. And so he says, 
Not only am I going to take your silver and your gold and your wives and your children, but now I'm going to come into your house. I'm going to send my servants to your house, and I'm going to look around, and anything valuable, I'm taking it. And then I'm going to send them to your servant's house, all of your high-ranking officials, and I'm going to look around, I'm going to see what's valuable, and I'm going to take it. Now, I don't know about you, but as a man, like, this is one of them things, it's like, you can't just get punked like that. I'm just saying. Like, especially not with your girl there. I mean, that's, I mean, it's one thing to get punked out on the street, but when your girl is there to watch it, it just, like, strips away that extra layer of, like, manhood that you thought you had, right? And so Ahab is basically like, you know what? He's, so he goes, to the, he goes to the elders and the people, uh, and uh, it says, in verse 7, it says, The king called to the elders of the land and said, Mark now, see, man, this dude's stirring up trouble. He just calls in trouble. He sent for my wives and my children, my silver and my gold. I, didn't, I told him he was good. I didn't refuse him. All the elders and the people said to him, do not listen or consent. Or consent. So he, they draw the line. They're like, you know what, man? Like, I mean, to take stuff from my backyard, like, it's one thing. Like, I mean, that's my stuff, and I like it because it's in my yard, but that's one thing. But now, you want stuff from out my bedroom. And it's, and you're not even, like, sneaking and doing it. Like, you're not robbing me while I'm not home. Like, you said, I'm going to come into your bedroom tomorrow and take your 46-inch Samsung LCD 1080p TV off the wall with the Xbox One and the PS4. And I want all the retro Jordans in your walk-in closet, too. Matter of fact, I need you to help me carry them out. <laughs> I mean, this is, like, you, this, this is how, like, humiliating this would have been. Like, how, uh, like, this is an absurd request. And so he goes to the people and the elders, and they're like, do not listen or consent. And so Ahab is like, okay, I know we're, I know we're undermanned right now. I know we don't have the resources to fight him, but he's just, he's, he's crossing the line here. Like, we, if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, draw the line at something, it's going to be the flat screen and the retro drawings. Like, it's going to be. And so he sends word back to Ben-Hadad, uh, verse 9, and he says, Tell my lord the king all that you first demanded of your servant I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. So they, they, they told the word to Ben-Hadad, Come back to Ahab. This is what uh, Ben-Hadad says. He says, The gods do so to me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls of all the people who follow me. Basically, he responds and says, How dare you have the audacity to reject my request? I'm going to wipe you out completely. First, I just wanted your kids and your wives and your gold and, and your silver. Now, since you rejected me, I'm going to wipe you out. Right? Now, most of the time, I don't like Ahab in the scriptures because he's just a bad guy. Right? But Ahab's response, like, I kind of like, I can respect his response because he, he gets a little thuggery in him uh, with, with this response. And so I appreciate this. Right? Look what it says. It says, it says in verse 11, And the king of Israel, Ahab, answered him, Tell him, let, him who straps on his, let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. Basically, he's saying, I mean, I know you're talking a lot of trash right now, but you ain't even fighting yet. I mean, you're talking like you won already. It's, 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 it's a few different types of people um, if you get ready to get into a fight. 
right? Not that you should be fighting, but it's a couple different people, and I'm going to give you characteristics of what to watch out for, right? Now, it's, it's, it's always that one guy who's real hyped for no reason. I mean, he's just like extra hype. He's bouncing around like, like, he's talk, like he's talking a lot of trash, like he's just all over the place, right? It's always that one dude. That guy can't fight, <laughs> right? He can't fight. Now, it's another dude who's like a thug, and he's just kind of like, he's just kind of chill. I mean, he might be talking some trash, but he's just kind of real laid back with it, right? Because he done been in some wars. So, so he know he can fight. He ain't afraid to lose either, but he's just real calm with it, right? That dude can fight. The last dude is the guy that just be pacing back and forth, talking to himself. <laughs> and then before he start fighting, he start crying. <laughs> if you about to get into a fight and the dude start crying before y'all fight, run! Because <laughs> that dude crazy. <laughs> Try to tell you. I see a lot of fights. I've never seen a dude who started crying before he fought lose a fight. <laughs> Them dudes just lose it and they go off, right? But, but Ahab, Ahab was real chill. He was real calm with it. He said, listen, man, like, I, I know, I, I mean, I know I'm under man, but like you talking, you running your mouth like, like you won already, right? And so this, this throws Ben-Hadad off. Ben-Hadad, verse 12, heard this message as he was drinking with his kings. This dude's already celebrating, He's already celebrating. He, him and his boys sitting back, drinking, like having parties. You usually didn't do that until after the fight. This dude is already, I don't even, he getting, he getting, he getting lit, right? And he said to his men, take your positions. And they took their positions against the city. So he, Ben-Hadad, here's what, what, uh, what Ahab has to say. And he's like, all right, let's, like, it's time to go to war. It's time to go to war. Now, you know he's drunk because of, uh, because of a number of things. One, uh, he, didn't, he didn't come up with any battle plan. He just said, take your positions. That's one. Number two, he sends out the chariots and horses. And if you know anything about the terrain that they're in, they're in a, villi- they're in a very hilly and rocky area, which gives a, a very, like chariots don't do well in those areas. So you can tell he's drunk and he doesn't know what he's talking about because he's just like, let's go to war. Right? Look at verse 13. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel. Now, I, I like how this prophet isn't given a name. It's, just, it's an unnamed prophet. The Bible doesn't even, doesn't even give this prophet a name. And, and typically when you see that, there's almost an, there's an extra emphasis that the Lord is about to do something. He, he leaves the prophet unnamed because he wants you to know, he wants the reader to know that God is about to work, right? And so a, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and, and said, Thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? See, I, I love the Lord's sense of humor, right? Because the first thing he tells the prophet to tell Ahab is, so I, looks like a lot of people you got to fight, huh? <laughs> I mean, he knows he's outnumbered, and that's the first thing the Lord says is, it's a lot of people, huh? <laughs> right? But, but, but God is drawing his attention to the fact that if you just look on the surface, you would know that Ahab has no chance of winning. And so he's drawing Ahab's attention to the fact that he can't win this war. Look what it says. Behold, I will give into your hand this day, and you shall, I will give them into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. First point and one point only. 
God's faithfulness to us rests in his desire for us to know him. God's faithfulness to us rests in his desire for us to know him. Now, you got to understand this. Ahab and, and Israel, for a while now, have been highly offending God with their idolatry. They, 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 were, they were in a place, even now, as we read this text, where the, the, the worshipers of Baal reign supreme. Worshippers of Baal reign supreme. Nobody's worshiping the Lord. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eye, and they're provoking the Lord to anger. And yet God here, in, 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 in the most merciful act that he could do, gives them a sign that says, even though you don't deserve it, and even though it's unwarranted, unwarranted, I, I'm going to give you a sign that I'm with you anyway. Even though, even though you're not worshiping me and your heart is far from me, I'm, I'm going to show up right now and I'm going to do something in your life so that you can't do anything but say it was the Lord. He says, but, but why? Why would God do this? Why, why would God just go out of his way to to extend grace and mercy and, and love to a people that don't deserve it because it says, it says so that Ahab will know that Yahweh is God. So, and you shall know that I am the Lord. He, want, he wanted them to, that word know me, to understand, to be familiar with, to, 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 to be acquainted with a person or a thing in an intimate way. He wanted, to, he wanted Ahab and, and the people to have an intimate knowledge of who he was. So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to show up for you. See, God, even, even now, God continues to give Ahab opportunities to, to repent and turn back to worshiping God. After all his idolatry, after all his waywardness, God still has given him opportunities. Listen, I'm going to show up. Will you come back to me? I, I know you don't deserve it, but, but, but will you come back to me? I know you haven't earned it, uh, but will you come back to me? I, I know you haven't been godly enough, but will you come back to me? Sometimes you just need God to show up in your life when you don't deserve it and act on your behalf. Yeah. Every once in a while, God will just show up on your doorstep and just and change your life out of nowhere. He'll interrupt your life and give you a little reminder and send you a little reminder that I'm here and, and I'm your God. And, and, and I want you back, and, and, and you need me. And, and he, he's, he's, he's waiting for people to listen and to, and to hear him wooing you and, 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 and calling you. See, God constantly in, in the Bible, even in Israel's defiance and, and hard-heartedness and, and waywardness, he's constantly giving them signs and, and, and working things out in their favor to give them reminders that, that I'm still your God, even though you betrayed me. Even though you broke covenant, uh, I, I'm still faithful, and I'm still here, and I'm still your God, and I, I, and I want you. Yeah. It, 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 it reminds me of the, the you know, them, them 90s R&B songs. You know, I, I'm a, I love the 90s. It ain't nothing like some 90s R&B. Maybe y'all not with me. I know y'all only listen to gospel music when y'all leave church on Sunday, but, but, but every once in a while, you need some. You need some Jodeci in your soul. You, 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 you need some, baby, I'm begging, baby, I'm begging. You need some of that in your, in your soul right now, right? And then this, but see, but un, unlike the, the 90s R&B, when God, when God woos you back, 
right? He, he's, he's telling you, he says, he says, he says I, I want you back because uh, you knowing me is more for your benefit than for mine. See, I, 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 R, 90s R&B says, baby, I messed up and I want you back. See, see God's wooing says, I, I know you messed up, but I want you back. And, I, and I'll do anything to get you back, even though it's not you doing the pursuing, it's me. But, but the thing I love about this, the thing I love about God is, is, is even, even right here, God, God doesn't do this wooing of Ahab and, and the people of Israel. He does, he's not doing this from a distance. He, he's not doing this from two states over. He's not sending a text message. Uh, God shows right up uh, on the front lines of the battlefield as Ahab's about to go to war when his life is dependent on it. And he says, I'm going to work this out for you. I'm going to come to your doorstep. And work it out. I'm going to come into your bedroom and your hospital room. I'm going to come to your job. I'm going to come right to where you need me the most, and I'm going to work it out. But again, it's, it's because, so you shall know that I'm the Lord. So then uh, Ahab says to the prophet, he says, he says, by whom? Right? He says, he says, by whom shall we start this, this battle? And uh, the prophet says, you, shall, you should get the servants, right? And these, these servants, the, the word for servants is the same word that's uh, used for young man that's used of David, which means inexperienced in military matters, right? And so he says, I want you to round up all of these young servants who have no military experience whatsoever. And he said, I'm, I'm going to pull a Gideon with you. And so when, when, when Ahab goes to round up those, those men, there's 232 of them. And he says, they're going to start the battle, and I want you to lead them, right? So they're already outnumbered, and then God shaves their number down some more to 232 and says, now go to war. And, and I'm going to make it perfectly clear so that you, you don't have to guess which one of your false gods did it. I'm telling you I'm going to do it, and, and then when it gets done, you have no choice but to worship me. And so they go to battle, and uh, they, they, they slaughter uh, the Syrians, and, and uh, Ben-Hadad escapes, um, and, and then we get to this point in verse 21, and it says, and, and the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots and, and struck the Syrians with a great blow. Uh, then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, come strengthen yourself and consider well what you have to do, for in the spring the king of Syria will come up uh, against you again. And then verse 23, it says, And the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills, and so they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. So Ben-Hadad goes back with his advisors and, and his squad, and he's like, he's like, what happened, guys? We didn't look good as a unit out there. Right? We didn't look good as a unit. Right? And so... His, his guys come back to him, and, they, and they, say, they say, we know what happened. They got some, some hill gods. <laughs> they got hill gods, right? And so, like, of course we was going to lose, right? So this is what we got to do. If we move the battle to the plains, the hill god can't move to the plains. <laughs> so we'll be better off. And Ben-Hadad's like, yo, you're right. <laughs> That's the end of the story. Like, that was literally the excuse. Yo, they got hill gods. 
So if we go to the plains, the hill gods can't go to the plains because they're stuck in the hills. And so this really happened, y'all. I'm, I, don't, I can't make this up. Uh, verse 26, it says, it says uh, in, in the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians uh, and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. So he replenished his entire armed forces uh, during, that, during that time. Uh, in verse 27, the people of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went against them. Uh, the people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Syrians filled, uh, filled the country, right? Like two little flocks of goats. Goats are never seen in large flocks or scattered like goats, right, or, or scattered like sheep. Uh, hence the two small compact uh, groups, right? And so sheep, when you think of sheep, there's usually a large number of sheep in a flock, and those sheep are usually scattered about over the hillside, right? And so the Bible says that they weren't like sheep. They were like goats. And there aren't as many goats in a flock, and they usually are more huddled together and less spread out. So if I can give you an imagery, I'm a huge movie guy. Uh, Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite movies, right? Uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch that thing. Now, in, in the, in the, did anybody see Lord of the Rings? I just need a, okay, so some of y'all, okay, almost everybody, not, not all of y'all, but... Um, in Lord of the Rings, they were in the two towers, the second movie, right? Uh, at the end, they're about to go in this big, huge war, right? And they, the, the enemy is overrunning uh, the guys. You know, they're, like, they're breaking into the, like, this fortress that they had set up. They're breaking in there. Now, Gandalf, before they went to war, Gandalf is one of the wizards, one of the main characters in there. He turns from Gandalf the gay, Grey to Gandalf the White. Just watch the movie. You'll get that part. Uh, but Gandalf tells them, he says, listen, on the third day, look to the east when the sun comes up, and I'm going to have reinforcements. Now, I don't know if that's a resurrection illustration for y'all, but to me, I see Jesus in that thing. But, but anyway, he says, he says, on the third day, look to the, look to the east when the sun comes up. And so the enemy's pushing in. They're, they're about to win. And, uh, and then they look to the east as the sun is coming up. And on the countryside, uh, there are so many horses and so many men on the horses. And the angle shot from a, from a cinematic perspective is a glorious, beautiful shot of war if you like fighting and stuff like that. Like there's so many horses and stuff, you can't even see the landscape anymore. All you see is horses and people. And this is what the Israelites were up against to Syria. Syria covered the land so much so that you probably couldn't even see land anymore. All you saw was people. And they're like two little flocks of goats. And then look what happens, verse 28. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, said to Ahab, thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is a God of the hills, but is not a God of the valleys, therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I'm the Lord. Now, now one of the interesting things about this is, um, Typically, when God, showed, when God showed up and did a major work in someone's life, especially in the Old Testament, they always stopped and built an altar there so that they could worship. It was a place of remembering for them. So every time they passed by, they would remember what God had done, right? But it wasn't just a place of remembering, but they took time after God worked to stop and build an altar so they could stop and acknowledge that God had worked and worship him. You don't see any of that happening in this passage with Ahab. God did a major work to an undeserving man, and he never once stopped and said thank you. 
And then we, then we get to verse 28, and it says, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said. So God showed up on behalf of Ahab the first time. The second time, he's showing up on Ahab's behalf, but it's not even because of him. He said, because the Syrians don't think I'm God, I'm going to show up again. Just so they know, and they don't attribute you winning the war to some false, phony God of the hills, they'll know that the living True covenant God of Israel isn't bound by the hills, isn't bound by the plain, isn't bound by the sea, isn't bound by the sky. I created everything and everything belongs to me. But even, even in this, he's speaking to Ahab and he's wooing him back. And he's, he's saying, maybe you didn't get my memo the first time. When I brought my prophet to you and said, I'm going to win this war for you so that you should know that I'm God. Maybe you missed that. But, but just in case you did, here's another reminder. Because they said that I'm only the God of the hills and not the God of the plain, I'm going to show up on your behalf again. What does it say? And you shall know that I am the Lord. God is constantly giving Ahab and the people of Israel's reminders in their life. This, this isn't some esoteric idea like God living up in the sky. God, God came to the battlefield. He practically met them in their problems right now and said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work it out for you. And, and guess what? He didn't wait for Ahab to get it right. See, that's, that's, a, that's a repetitive theme in the Bible. It's a repetitive theme of, of, of the, the gospel. God doesn't wait on you to get it right before he comes after you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans 5, 8, it says, but, but God showed his love for us in that while we were yet, while we were still sinners, he died for us. While you were still a pornography watcher, while you were still a gossiper, while you were still a thief, uh, while you were still arrogant, while you were still depending on your education, uh, while you were still a wife beater, while you were still a, a murderer in your heart, while you were still unkind, while you were still unloving, while you were still untrustworthy, while you were still lazy, while you were still an excuse maker, God died for you. You know, but the, the beautiful thing is, not, not that just the, that he died, but, but God also gives you time to, to, to come to him, right? Bro, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but his, is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, I don't know if you know this, but God is delaying the return of Jesus so that you can come to know him. That, that's, what, that's what the verse says. It says God is waiting on coming back because he wants you to have more time to know him. He's, he's giving you time. He's giving you opportunities. He's, he's, he's giving you chances while he's giving you opportunities and, and saying, come back to me. I, I want you to come back to me. It's, it's for your benefit that you come to me. And, and, and I love you. Come to me. I'm, I've worked it out on the cross through Jesus so you can come to me. I've, when will you respond? Time doesn't, 
blast always. Ahab refused to respond to the calling of God and the evidences of grace that God had given him in his life. And, and eventually, God stops giving him chances and puts a curse on his life and turned him over to his passions. God is God's saying, he's saying, I, I love you. He said, I'm, I love you. And, and I'm here. Why, why don't you come join my family? Why don't you come join my family? Every head bowed and every eyes closed. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you have been an idol worshiper for your entire life. Maybe you have been so independent that you thought you don't need God. Maybe you've sought out other things to satisfy your joys and you've created cheap substitutes to make you feel better about your life and you sought false peace in things that will never satisfy. Maybe that's you today. If that's you and you're saying, man, I want to take advantage of this opportunity right now, today, that God's given me to, to turn my life over to Christ. If that's you today, raise your hand. Slip your hand in the air. I see those hands. I see those hands. If you would, can you come up, just come up to the front? If you would, be bold. Don't be, af don't be afraid. It's no judgment. We want to love on you. This is, this is, this is one of the the greatest decisions you'll make in your life is giving your life over to Christ. If you've never trusted in him for salvation, you have an opportunity right here today where he's saying, come to me. He's saying, I love you. Come to me. There's, there's, there's no amount of sin that you've done that's too great for me to grab you from. You're never far enough from me where my arms don't reach. Is there another one? Is there another? Maybe you're in here and you've been around church things for a long time, but you're straddling the fence. And you know all the church lingo and you know John 3.16 and, and you know where to find things in your Bible, but you've never seriously given your life over to Christ because you love the world too much. You enjoy the fun of the world. If that's you and you're saying, I, I, I want to make a commitment today. I want to make a solid commitment today to give my life over to Christ, for real, for real. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Let's pray.